If you could turn to John 20, picking up where we left off on Thursday. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of uh, the struggles of life, um, we ask that you would be granting us hope through the Scriptures, that you would be granting us encouragement through the Scriptures, for that is why you have had them written. Father, these uh, men and these women needed hope and they didn't quite understand the way in which it would come to them. But we thank you that it did come to them, and it gave them hope. Help us by the Spirit to not just understand what we see here, but to believe that which we see here. To grow in our understanding of it, and the implications of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned Bill Walton in the earlier service. I'm mentioning Bill Walton again. For those of you who don't know who he was uh, and didn't hear the first sermon earlier this morning, uh, he used to be an NBA player. Uh, he was a college champion at UCLA as well as a uh, two-time champion in the NBA with Portland and the Boston Celtics. Okay, so at, during his career as a broadcaster, what happened is that uh, he had had injuries throughout his entire playing career, well, his back basically collapsed. And he was basically on the floor for two years uh, in incredible pain, unable to move, and in many ways has, has lost hope. He could not do the things that he loved to do. He loved the game of basketball. Uh, he couldn't watch basketball, much less call games as he was used to doing. His vocation was done. The pain was just too much for him to bear. He tells in an interview of how he had beside him his bottle of pills, a bottle of booze, and a handgun. He was suicidal at times. Not sure if he wanted to continue to live because he had lost hope. A very difficult place for people to be. Oftentimes when they do suffer in such extreme ways, people can lose hope. 
the disciples had lost hope. Our big idea this morning is that believing in the resurrection is a blessing in and of itself. It also brings blessing, but it is itself a blessing. Let's start with this idea that's not really directly connected to the resurrection, but I want us to see what's also here in John's text, and that is that well-loved people love well. That's what makes sense of some of what we see taking place in this particular text. The Sabbath has come and gone. Jesus has been in the tomb for a few days. Early on the first day of the week, Mary comes, it says, while it was still dark, she goes out to the tomb. Now John is focusing on Mary. He's not, she's not the only person who's there. We see from Mark 16, for instance, that it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And so she had company as she went out there. John is being taking the role of an editor and being selective as to what portion of this story he tells us because not everything is important to what he wants us to know, what he wants us to understand. And so some people try to harmonize the four gospel accounts. And, uh, you know, there are differences. And those shouldn't frighten us, I think, in any way, shape, or form. We see that this Mary is here to show love to the one who loved her. And he loved her particularly by setting her free from demons. We see in Luke 8, Luke 8 when the first time she appears, she's part of the women that follow Jesus, uh, that, that also support him and the disciples from that which they had. Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And it starts off by saying, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And so Jesus had loved her well by setting her free from the things that had her in bondage. And so now she is going to love him well. She wants to complete the burial process that had been done in haste earlier that week, well, the week before, as the Sabbath was drawing near. Let us remember that the death of Jesus... Her earthly hopes and what he had, she thought anyway, he had promised did not end her love for him because she had been a changed person. But she's not the only person who was well loved and now is loving well. We also see James, sorry, John and Peter. John is the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus had given love to. We see a slight change in how he's described here because the word loved has shifted. Usually it's the verb, you know, agapeo, and now this time it's phileo. Probably, I, I, as I think about this, because the kind of love that he is going to, that John is showing Peter is the love of a brother who sticks close to him in the midst of trial and adversity. You see, Peter, I imagine, is having a very difficult time. Because not only has Jesus died, but Peter has denied Jesus before he died. And we know what happened to, to Judas, who betrayed Jesus. He had no friends. He had done this for money. 
And he went and committed suicide. He took his own life because he could not bear the pain of what he did. And so Simon Peter here is probably struggling with very similar feelings, but here he has a friend who loves him and is coming beside him to love him well because John himself has been loved well by Jesus the Savior. Loved deeply by him, he sticks by the side of disgraced Peter, though Jesus is gone. And so here we see, in these three people, and actually the other women who were there as well, because they also love Jesus, we see devastated people. Their world had come to a, a sharp change that they did not anticipate. They're devastated people, but yet we see people who are still able to love. People who are still committed to love. As I think about John and Peter, I'm reminded of Bill Walton. Because he tells that when he was laying on the floor and had given up all hope, it was his former business partner, his, the broadcaster Jim Gray, who came and loved him. It was Jim Gray who came and encouraged him. It was Jim Gray who did all the research to find the clinic that would be able to do the surgery to repair his back and give him his life back. It was the love of a friend. So let's not underestimate the need for the love of a friend, whether we are the one who is suffering or we are watching someone suffering. The love of a friend is very important. We recognize that many of us were not loved, well loved by family, but we see that Jesus is not limited by our past. There are ways in which my family has loved, had loved me well, and then there were big gaps. Jesus is not limited by the big gaps in what my parents did. We see this particularly in Romans 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so there's not just the objective way in which God has loved us and sending His Son to die upon the cross for us, but we also have this experience of the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts precisely in order for God to love us. For us to experience the love of God and that it may overflow into the love for other people. This changes us so that we're able to love better, we're able to love more. So in this way, God loved the world in giving us His only Son as a sacrifice, and so now we can love. But that's not all that this passage teaches us. I think it also teaches us that it is not normal to believe in the resurrection, precisely because the resurrection is not an ordinary event. People don't just, didn't just walk into this tomb and go, oh, he's raised. First we see Mary and the other women who, oddly enough, were the first to discover that Jesus, they didn't realize he was risen, but he wasn't there. God honored them, turning everything upside down because these, these are, you know, women in that society were not valued. 
And God valued them. And God gave them this great blessing, this great honor in all of this. But they, as they're approaching the tomb, they're worried about the stone, and they're worried about who would move it, because they knew that they themselves would be able, unable to roll the stone away and enter into the tomb. Perhaps they remembered or knew that the soldiers were there, and maybe they would ask the soldiers for this favor. We're not exactly sure, but they talked about this, as we see in, in Mark's account in chapter 16. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And they were surprised when they arrived, and the stone had already been rolled away. They didn't understand this. The, the, the problem had been solved, but they didn't understand how or why the problem had been solved. But notice that they did not initially say, Jesus was right. He's alive. They didn't go there. That's not what they thought. She ran. She ran to find the other disciples. We're not sure what the others did. They were older than she was, presumably. They were, uh, you know, they are the moms of adults. Okay? So the idea of running back into the city might not have been very appealing to them. Uh, we did the 5K last week, and as a joke at the end, I ran for 50 feet and told Amy to videotape me. <laughs> okay? Because my days of running long distance are done. Okay? I've hit the big 5-0. My life is not over, but my days of running a whole lot certainly are. Okay? I've got the old man run now. And so maybe they had the old lady run and they, they just weren't up for it. But we know that Mary ran. And she ran to a specific place. And she ran to specific people. People she knew loved Jesus and would want to know. And so she finds Peter and John. She knows exactly where they are, even though they had been scattered since the shepherd had been taken, had been struck. But her words are this, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know what they've done with him. So her mind is not on Jesus has been raised from the dead, just as he claimed he was, was going to happen. Her mind is someone stole the body. We're not sure who stole the body or who she thought stole the body. She probably thought it was the Jewish leaders. But it could have been grave robbers. The Jewish leaders and the Romans had sealed the tomb precisely out of fear, out of fear of this happening, of the disciples coming and taking the body and claiming that Jesus had been raised again. So they understood. They remembered Jesus talked about coming back to life on the third day, and so they thought the disciples would kind of play this hoax upon them, and so that's why the soldiers were there in the first place, to make sure there were no shenanigans taking place. Okay? And so if they had taken the body, it would have been very easy to prove, once the, the message of the resurrection was spreading, that Jesus was really dead. Of course, they didn't. Grave robbing was a very common thing at that point in time, especially a rich man's grave. And where was Jesus buried? Joseph of Arimathea's grave, carved into the rock. Okay? A rich man's grave. And so the thought might be that some people, that the, the, the ladies might have of the body was stolen for the spices that were worth a lot of money. Myrrh was an expensive thing. 
And so sometimes they could steal bodies for that purpose. It was such a common thing that Emperor Claudius, who was Roman, the Roman emperor from 41 to 54, he declared it a capital crime to put the, a stop to it. So that's how, fre- how frequent this problem was. So all she knows is he's gone. She believes someone has taken him. And so she, these two men run to the tomb. Peter ran first. John arrived first. Apparently John was a better runner than Peter. But John does not enter the tomb. Peter does when he arrives. And so here we see just another instance where Peter is sort of the impetuous one. He's the first one to run to go see what happens. And he's the first one, even though he shows up second, to go into the tomb and see what happens. John is able to see by what light he has that the grave clothes, the the cloths are just laying there. And then Peter goes in and sees the same thing, but notices that the face cloth uh, is not tossed upon the floor randomly, but has been folded up nicely. All of this indicates to us that Jesus was not taken by grave robbers. What's his body worth? (laughs) His body is worth nothing. It's the spices and the linen that would be worth something. You could sell those. But why would you waste the time to unwrap him? If you're robbing a grave and there was a penalty, even though it was not yet a capital crime, you're not going to hang around. You want to go in, you want to get out. I've never been a, a break, I've never broken into houses to steal things, but my mindset as someone who has been robbed is, you want to get in, you want to get out. You don't want to goof around and play with things. And especially since there's you know, these Roman soldiers out there, in, out. The body is missing, but everything he was wrapped in is there. It makes no sense for it to be a grave robbery. No sense whatsoever. Not only is there the time, but it's also the reality of the myrrh. Myrrh was a resin or a gum, and what do you know about gum? Gum is sticky, which makes it even harder to unwrap a body (laughs) than it ordinarily would be. And so these are things that indicate that something unexpected had happened at that time. We see that uh, Peter notices this, but he's not sure exactly what happened. Consider for a moment what happened when Lazarus was resuscitated. He had been in the tomb for a few days, and when he was resuscitated, um, we see that when the man who had died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. When Lazarus was raised, he couldn't undo the cloths himself. There's a sense in which he was trapped, and he needed assistance. And here we see that somehow Jesus has not needed assistance. This in spite of the fact of what happened to him a few days previously. 
for some reason, my mind goes back to spaghetti westerns. And in Silverado, they paid homage to those spaghetti westerns because uh, Scott Glenn's character gets the snot beat out of him. And he hides in a cave. And he spends the next few days trying to heal in the cave. And, of course, they speed up things because he couldn't heal that fast after the beating that he took and then go out and kill everybody, okay? But think of that. Jesus is not a healthy man who fell asleep and was wrapped in these things and then is able to get himself free, something like a Houdini, okay? Jesus is one who has been murdered, who has been brutalized. And yet, when he's raised... He's able to remove these things from himself. Peter returns home confused. In Luke it says he was marveling, but that's really a sort of vague, ambiguous kind of term. We're not, we're not sure if he believed or not. And John's gospel seems to indicate that perhaps he didn't. John, I think, wants us to understand that this is no ordinary event and the, the disciples did not jump to the conclusion quickly that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They struggled with this. They had a hard time grappling with this. And so I want us to remember that believing in the resurrection is not normal. I mean, I've spent my whole life hearing about the resurrection. For even when I was young and in in the Roman Catholic Church, we heard about the resurrection. And so it sort of seemed ordinary. It's not. Perhaps we need to recapture the wonder and the mystery of this because it defies everything. It should astound us. It should confuse us and confound us. Were it not for the testimony of Scripture, we'd be fools to believe in it. People apart from the grace of God will not believe it. That's why I call it a blessing. God does something so that we will believe in the resurrection. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not an ordinary event. Believing believing in it is something that is beyond us. But John brings us to another place. The reality that we struggle to understand the Scriptures. And it's not just this scripture. You see, on the one hand, John isn't Peter. John sees the same things that Peter sees. He sees that there's no Jesus right there, no body. He sees that there's just the linen cloths. He sees that there's just the face cloth. But John reaches a different conclusion. It says here that he saw and he believed, and yet that is still slightly ambiguous. Believe what? Did he believe that the Jewish leaders had come and taken the body? Did he believe that grave robbers had taken him? Who would take him? Why would they take him? I think John believed that Jesus was raised. But think about that. We have at least five people seeing the very same thing, and only one seems to clearly believe in the resurrection at that moment. They all would come to believe in the resurrection, but they all hadn't gotten there yet. 
And one reason that John provides is, as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And I don't think John understood it either. He believed on the basis of, of what he saw, as well as the work of the Holy Spirit. Not, he hadn't connected it with the Scriptures yet. That would come later for him. And so his belief in the resurrection of Jesus is based on not, oh, this is a Scripture, oh, now it's fulfilled, but, oh my goodness, this really happened. And then later going, ah, why didn't I see it in Scripture all that time? Okay? And so it's more of faith seeking understanding than understanding and then believing. Okay? Some scriptures are very difficult for us to understand. Some not until we even experience them. Think of Nicodemus. We talked about him on Thursday night. With John, in John chapter 3, he's being told about being born again, and he has no clue what Jesus is talking about. By the time we get to the end of this gospel, it seems that while he may not have understood it, it had happened to Nicodemus. Because now Nicodemus is risking everything to bury Jesus. The man that he wouldn't risk anything for when he was alive. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what is Paul talking about there in 2 Corinthians 4? Is that you don't see it until He shines the light into hearts. It is not perceived merely with intellectual powers, but we are completely dependent upon the mercy of God to shine His light into our hearts that we might see the glory of the Gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. It's all of grace. All of grace. Later in this chapter, John would write, Blessed are those, quoting Jesus, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We are not in the same situation as John and the other disciples. They are going to see Jesus, as we will see in the weeks to come, face to face. For them it will be undeniable. They will believe in the resurrection. But we are among those who have not seen. We are among those who have believed despite not seeing. And we are blessed. We receive blessing in in believing, and in believing we receive more blessing in Christ. So we're blessed for having trusted Scripture and its testimony about the resurrection. But as I think about this, of their own struggle to believe the Scriptures, I'm reminded that sometimes, most times, we need to be gracious. We need to be patient. We need to be understanding with those who don't yet understand the Scriptures. 
Because remember, it's not by our great intellectual powers that we came to this understanding of the Scripture, though our minds are used in the process. We, as uh, Paul tells Timothy, think and may God grant understanding. And so our thinking is important, it's, it's, it's necessary, but it's, our thinking is insufficient. God must grant understanding. And so when there's someone who doesn't believe, we should be patient and gracious with them, praying that God would grant understanding where He has not yet granted understanding. In other words, that person needs grace. And we're to show them some grace until God shows them grace. Well, we see that Jesus was brought back from the dead after three days in the grave. His disciples didn't understand it. They struggled to believe His words. But that didn't change the fact of the nearly empty tomb. The grave clothes there tell us that Jesus' body was not stolen. The soldiers outside tell us that this was not some elaborate ruse on the part of the disciples. Jesus rose from the dead for our salvation. And so may the, may the Father help us through the Spirit to, to believe this in such a way that our lives are turned upside down just like it turned their lives upside down. Let's pray. Father, help us not to treat the resurrection as an intellectual problem to be solved, a scientific problem to be solved, an emotional problem to be solved. Help us to treat it as the thing which solves, which solves our sin problem, which solves the fact that you, a just judge, can show grace to people like us. That you, a just judge, did not give your son over to death forever. but raised him to vindicate his sacrifice for sinners. Help us to see the resurrection for what it is and all of its depth. Help us to think on the resurrection, to meditate on the resurrection. Help us, Father, to grow in our trust in you because of the resurrection. And transform us as we believe in the resurrection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.